0: This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And today I'm doing something that I've only done like one or two other times, but I have Turn guest. Welcome, Meredith. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Good. So we talked like literally one of my very first episodes ever. Was it? Yeah, it was. within oh, that's the awesome. First like 10 maybe or something like that. It okay. Was, it was so long ago. And so um, I know that so many people listen to this podcast now that didn't listen and so they don't know you. So I still want you to go go back. <laughs>
1: through all the things and tell me your whole story. Oh yeah. I have a great story. I mean, don't we all? Um yeah, so let's see. I haven't started from the beginning in a long time. This is good. This is good practice, oh, Eddie. Thank you for having me on your no just kidding. Um so I left home um at eighteen and started drinking and I pretty much did that for twenty years. And I was a so mom. Why did
0: you leave? What was what was going on? Why'd you leave
1: well, why would I leave home? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I graduated high school and then I went off to college and I never stepped foot back in the home. Like, I just needed to get out of home and not go back. And um, it was interesting that I, once I got out of home, I just started drinking like a lunatic. <laughs> no connection there. It's fine. Um, but anyway, I went off to college and um, drank a ton, like, you know, but everyone does that in college. Right. And so then I go on to law school, get married, have a couple kids and um, I'm still doing it. I'm still drinking a ton. And I was a blackout drinker. Um, what's the point of one drink? You know, it was zero or 10 and just a very, very big, heavy Drinker in all sense of the words. I got up to about 280 pounds. Um, I was not like a. I was a fun drunk for a few, few glasses, <laughs> and then I wasn't. Um, so there's always that damage that you leave behind in your wake, which is always fun. But one morning, um, well, I started doing the sport of triathlon in 2010 because I thought if I exercise, then I'm healthy. And so I did triathlon. I started doing that. And so I went on to do big races and all this stuff while still having a very serious drinking problem. And so one morning, it was in 2014, um, I woke up and my alarm went off and I turned it off and I rolled over and went back to bed. And no matter what had happened in my life, I always got up, I did the things I needed to do. I mean, I might've been like, oh my gosh, you know, suffering. But I got my kids to school. I did all the mom things. I, I, you know, I was holding it together. I was doing it all. And that morning I just turned off my alarm and I went back to bed and I woke up a couple hours later and the kids were gone. So I knew they were at school or missing, you know, one or the other. And, um, I went downstairs and there was empty bottles of wine, a pizza box, an ice cream container, some unpaid credit card bills, like arranged on the counter, like someone had put them out for me. And <laughs> display, like here Yes. And I was like, boy, I sure did put those out nice and neat last night, you know? And then I look and there's a post-it note on the counter and I look at it and it's in my husband's handwriting. And can I cuss? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he goes, well, on this, on this post-it note, it says you need to get your shit together. And I was like, is this for me? This is not for me. Like, who is this note for? And so then I got really mad. And I got out my phone and I started composing, like, the angriest, longest text, complete with the, you know, proper emojis, the devil horn, the gun, the knife, like, of a woman who had been scorned, you know. Did he not know who I was? All the things I did for him, for these children, you know. Um, And then I looked out of the corner of my eye. And there was a poster board from my first grader that was on the floor that I had promised to help her with a science project that morning before school. And I did not. And not even the fact that I didn't help her, I didn't even come up with an excuse or a reason why I couldn't. you know. And so that was something that really struck me. And I thought, okay, this is my problem. This is not good. But this was 2014. I did not get sober until 2015. So I like to call that not the rock bottom. I had a few more um, since then, like a couple, you know, really rough events. And um, yeah, that was the beginning of the realization that I needed to get my shit together. But then I, you know, I didn't, I didn't right away. And it, it took me a lot of bargaining and negotiations with myself before I um, woke up and decided I set a date Um, and the the actual rock bottom came with the realization that every time I drove home from work I thought about driving into this tree it was by the bottom of this big hill near my house and it was just like a, a thought like oh I wonder what I'll eat for dinner it was like oh I'll just drive into this tree and then make it all stop and one time my kids were in the car and I had the thought and I thought, oh my gosh, one day I'm going to do this. And I had this very real sense that I would not make it another year. I just, I knew I would be dead. I would be dead in one way or another, whether myself in an accident. Like, and I wasn't, I wasn't driving drunk when I was thinking of driving into the tree, but um, that was even worse. Right. Cause I was, it was, I wasn't drinking and having those thoughts. And so I set a date. Um, It was December 12th. So I'm coming up on four years. And I, I just knew I had my husband's work party on a Friday night and I knew that would be my last drink. And I know people go back and forth and say, oh, you should never say that. But for me, having the absolute certainty that that was it for me was a big, that's been a big part of my recovery. Um, because I'm very stubborn, and so when I decide something is done, it's usually done. <laughs> and um, so, but that doesn't mean it was easy, and that doesn't mean that um, I I don't hear a martini shaker to this day, and like ah, you know, stop my ears. Um, it's still hard. But interestingly, um, when I set that date, I went to that work party, and I think that was the only time in my life I had one drink because I was done. I was just done. I, I knew it was over for me. And when I go to parties now and people ask, oh, you don't drink? I'm like, no, I lost that privilege. I'm on permanent restriction. <laughs> that's what I say. I'm like, nope. I tried that experiment. So here I am four years later. And um, life is, you know, everyone says, oh, life on this side of sobriety is so much better. And I think when I was drinking, I could have rolled my eyes and been like, whatever you know you don't want to hear that until you want to until you need to hear it until you're ready to hear it but it's so true I mean like just last night I woke up at 3 a.m because I have this book coming out in two weeks and I'm just I'm just a little it's a little intense Um, but I woke up at three and I got out of bed and I just did stuff you know till 7 a.m and then I went back to sleep but that's the kind of stuff you can't do as a drinker you know (laughs) You can't like wake up when you've been drank all night so yeah it's been um it's been good to be sober it really has i love that it's like just really
0: authentic because i think that a lot of people um you know, not the i think we try to convince ourselves sometimes of things that might not actually authentically feel true to us right we're like trying to have all these super positive thoughts and we know what we want to believe. So we're trying right. to tell ourselves the things that we want to believe, but we don't yet quite believe them. And I'm a big fan of like actually transitioning to what you want to believe through like little things that you can actually believe at this point in time. Yes. And so instead of like, it's the best thing I've ever done with my life, you're like, it's good to be sober. And, it, and I feel like that was, I remember um, I had some, you know, the notes app on your phone. And I remember different times when i Write myself different things during my whole journey of, yeah. of finding my way out of alcohol, and I would write myself like I would be drunk, and I would write myself like it was better sober, like it was better before you started drinking. You felt better. Just remember this, you know. Oh, and I that's would smart. Not really go look at it. That <laughs> like <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't want to know when I was, you know, then the next day craving or whatever. But right yeah, it was just interesting that I like that. It's just, it's, it's good. It's, it's, you know, just a little, sometimes all you need is just a little bit better. And
1: yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's better in ways that we're maybe not bargaining with. Like we don't really necessarily want, like, you know, your skin is better and you, you feel better. Like as a human, you feel better, but then there's this whole, oh, I have to feel emotions kind of thing. And so that's not always feeling better to a degree because, I mean, after a while, I think the first year sober, you're just kind of riding that wave and you're, you're proud of yourself and you're doing it. But then, I don't know, something about year two and three, you, you kind of realize why you drank. It's <laughs> like some of those emotions um, that I know for me, um, the start of year three for me was when I kind of uncovered the reason I drank and some of the, the trauma and some of the past and real thoughts about myself. And I'm like, oh, that's why I did that. Now I have to sit through it and feel it and figure out how to cope with it in a healthy way. And so that, you know, yeah, it's better to be sober, but that's a very real part of it that um, we have to come to terms with. So give me an example. And like, how do you cope with? Oh um, well, I think when you have this kind of personality, um, it's very natural to just go to the nearest available mechanism for soothing. Um, When I was a kid, it was food, and then it became booze and food. And so for me now, it just—it's I have to be very cognizant of the fact that a pint of ice cream and a large pizza is not a healthy meal. Or a snack—that's <laughs> it might be. Um, so I have to look at what I'm, how I'm using um, my coping mechanisms that are around me because they can just kind of trickle down. If it's not food, then it beca- can become obsessive exercise, and then it can become money. You know, I'm just on Amazon, just click, 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 click. Oh, I need that. You know, um, and so realizing for me that it's an emotional spiral that I'm in. Like, okay. You're starting to do it, and you're starting to um, twist and turn, and you have to just stop. And so what I do is I journal. That has been the number one most effective, most beneficial, healthy coping mechanism. And the scary thing is kind of the things I do journal sometimes, and that's why I really like um, morning pages, the Julia Cameron method, where you just get it all out, and then you can destroy it, (laughs) or you type it on your computer, and you delete it. Um, so journaling, I think has connotation that we have to keep it for posterity and, you know, edit it in case our spouse finds it. Um, but when you can just unedit, write, or even voice record, that's what I tell some of my clients, like, look, get on your voice recorder and just talk or Marco Polo me, Marco Polo app is awesome. And so just getting it out of your head and just into the world, not necessarily for others to read, but out into the universe, somewhere not in your head, is the best coping me- mechanism, for sure. And some of the early journaling, like early sobriety journaling, that's some messed up stuff. <laughs> like, I do have a journal from my first, like, six months, and I'll just flip through it sometimes be- as a reminder of how bad it was because that journaling is really... Um, It's really, it was really bad. And when you're in it, you feel bad, you know, it's bad, but until you're out of it, I think you don't know how bad it was. At least for me.
0: I love that. Um, I always tell people, I'm like, literally just write as it it, and plan to burn it. Like literally plan to put it in the fireplace. And if that's, you know, then you allow yourself to write unfiltered because I think that was a big game changer for me. I always... It was funny. I always wanted to be a writer, but like my idea of wanting to be a writer was like I was going to write novels, probably like historical fiction, with like my glass of wine in some mountain chateau or whatever. <laughs>
1: I was a martini in a silk robe. That was me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so <laughs>
1: I am a writer,
0: but it is very different than right? I, I write self help books. Not putting pretty- right, oh right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, but I think that because of that, like I was like somebody told me early days, like if you want to be a writer, write every day. And so yeah. I literally have my journal right here. And I was journaling before, you know, this morning and it's like, okay, every day. And I just fill up notebook after notebook after notebook. And, um, when I crossed the threshold of writing for other people or writing for other people to read it, or even writing for myself to read it, yeah. it's like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, write i really like how um brooke castillo she is um a life coach and she talks about a thought download she's like just download your thoughts just get them out and it's like oh that's cool because it's just like filtering out and now it's on paper and now you can actually do nothing with it throw it away do something with it but guess what like your brain space has it's just like a release valve, you know yeah and, oh,
1: cool and if you do want to be a writer there's nuggets you know, even when you're not um, trying, like I can't, I had something this morning I was dumping about, oh my God, this book, this book is going to be terrible. Everyone hates it. Everyone's going to love it, you know, and it makes no sense. But then I, I, I wrote something like, well, I should have just continued to be a lawyer. Cause I was a lawyer. I quit the legal profession two years ago. And I was like, if you had not left the law, you wouldn't be broke. And you'd, you know, and it was this whole train of thought. And it was like, there was no risk there. And then I was, I was like, wait a minute, and I started like analyzing what is taking a risk and is it more risky to stay in a job you hate and hope it pans out or, is you know, so then it became, Oh, I could actually use that. And so then I get my other notebook and I'm like, good idea for a medium article later, you know? Um, yeah. but that's not usually the, that's not why I sat down to do it, but sometimes <laughs> good things come out of it. But now I don't know how I feel about that topic. So carry on.
0: <laughs> I, I love that topic. I absolutely read yeah. that article. I think you should write that. And I think it's so true. It's like, we don't we don't count risk of staying the same. Like our brains only go to the risk of changing and yeah. don't actually count the risk of not changing. And I think it's such an important topic because like there's a lot of risk in not changing. There's right. a lot of risk in, in like, you know, cause we don't, we don't think about it. Well, the same is fine, but no, what are you missing out on? If you don't risk, if you don't try, you know, it's really interesting. It's a great topic. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the hard part for me was I actually really liked my law job toward the end. Like right before I left, I loved the boss I worked for. I was working from home doing legal work. So, I mean, it's like the best of both worlds. And so it was like, this is really risky. This is really risky. And then after I left the, the legal profession, like a lot of the partnerships and businesses that I had built, like my side hustle sort of fell apart. And so four months after I quit my well-paying legal job, my side hustle kind of fell apart. <laughs> and I was standing there going, oh, this is really great. This is excellent. Like now I've really done it. Um, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, everything is falling apart. I'm so stupid. And it turned, and at the time I thought I was dying. I thought this is the worst thing. I, I felt so sick. I was still sober. I stayed sober through that time. But Out of that, that year was so terrible. It was 2017. I call that the year that can kiss my ass. Like it was just a horrible year. Horrible, no good, bad year. But what came, now that I look back on that year, everything that fell apart, all the relationships, all the businesses, it was such a great thing. It set me up for exactly where I sit right now, um, which is a place of terror, but it's fine. (laughs) But really good opportunities and a chance to ask myself, okay, I'm turning 40. What do I want? What does life mean? What is the meaning of life? How can I really use my my gifts or my you know, troubles to help people? And I can look back on those times and say, I'm so glad I went through all of it. But you can't see that when you're in the middle of it.
0: I love how you name your years because your book is called The Year of No Nonsense.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it started in (laughs) 2017. That's when I um, kind of looked around and I was like, there is not, my whole life is nonsense. You are nonsense. You are nonsense. This is nonsense. And I just said, what if I had a year of no nonsense, which, you know, is kind of a pipe dream, right? But it really turned into quite the experiment. And yeah, that the book came out of that because literally, and this is kind of the mind boggling thing. You can boil down every single person, place, or thing in your life to nonsense. Yes or no like it's either not nonsense or it is nonsense and to think about other people as nonsense is kind of mm, but you know what i mean <laughs> i mean exactly. there are people who to you are nonsense it doesn't mean they're just nonsense as a person but your relationship with them is nonsense and and so boiling down my choices because everything was so hard that year i thought i i didn't even have the brain power to process what had just happened to me um, and so having a simple guiding question like, is this nonsense, yes or no, it saved me. <laughs> I was able to put things in a box, either here I deal with it, here no, I'm not dealing with you anymore, or I'm um, not dealing with this thing, I'm not going to this PTA meeting, I'm not baking this casserole, I'm not going to your potluck, I'm not going to family vacation when I am exhausted and have an attitude problem, like all these things, it just it just, it simplified everything.
0: Yeah. And it makes you, I always, I I'm such an advocate in my own life and um, just in general for like curiosity. Right. And, and a guiding question invites curiosity. So if yeah. you're going to start to ask, like, is this nonsense? Like what a cool question, because it's, you know, it, and especially if you're going to force the answer, yes or no. Right. Because you, you really have to look at like, okay, you know, what? what is impacting, and it really gets down to what we were talking about before, the cost of staying the same, the cost of staying in the nonsense, the cost of allowing yourself to be, I mean, we just had a a week of my son is turning 11. And so like, oh my gosh, like just he wants a certain type of party, which no longer involves his grandparents, his grandparents (laughs) all want to see him on his birthday, his cousins, so now we're having a party for him for a slumber party for like eight boys and then we're having like a um, family party and then the different sides of the family can't make it on the same time. So now we're having three different parties and I'm (laughs) like, wait a second, like what is happening? You know, and it just, you have to be like, okay, What's the important thing here? Right, right. No nonsense. It's that he wants to celebrate his birthday, and actually, he doesn't care about all the rest of it. So, how many people am I, you know, pleasing in the process that is just creating so much more stress and drama? Chapter
1: eight, I think, it's chapter eight or eleven. People pleasing, it it gets its own chapter, I think, (laughs) in the book. Yeah, major theme, major theme. Um, But it's interesting because alcohol is obviously a big theme in in my life and. And I, I talk about how everyone has a personal biggest brand of nonsense. And it's like the one thing that is standing in the way of your health, happiness, and success. And all of these things are object are subjective. Like your nonsense is not my nonsense. Like not everyone has a drinking problem. So alcohol is not nonsense for everyone. Um, I mean, I kind of think alcohol might just be nonsense, but that's just my personal belief. But I also understand that you can go to a restaurant and sit down with someone and they will drink a half glass of wine and they will leave. Okay. And I'm like, that is not a problem for you. (laughs) And I'm like, just drink it, drink the rest of it. (laughs) like, Don't leave it. It drives me crazy. But understanding that we all have our own personal brands of nonsense is really the key. Um, And then just to keep your eyes on your own plate and on your own, in your own lane, you know, Um, worrying about what you've got and what your nonsense is and, and just understanding that the other people's nonsense is not your problem. Um, Was it Wayne Dwyer? What other people think of me is none of my business. I love that quote. Um, Paraphrased of course, but yeah, the other people, you, you can't control anything about other people nothing. And coming to that realization, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: interesting.
1: Even 11 year olds, you can't control them. Uh, <laughs> I have a 12 year old and an 11 year old actually. <laughs> and trying to
0: be like, okay, it took me 40 years to learn that like, I'm the only one I can control and that I should care, you know, to control, um, which is always, I mean, that's going to be a lifelong thing. Oh, People to do things your way. Um, right, but right. then, you know, trying to instill that in our kids too. Be like, look, you're up to you. And it's like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> right. So. And it, with two kids, like I have two that are 14 months apart and my daughter likes to control my son. And I mean, she just, she wants, she wants to control him. And he's older, which is, is even funnier. Cause, but yeah, I keep telling her, I'm like, stop, you cannot control him. And she's like, but I want to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do things my way, but, but I so, want to. So, if you take us back to like the um the note, the get your shit together note. Yeah. Um, so, what was the immediate fallout, and what is it? What is it
1: like now? I mean, is your husband like nice? You did it. you Got your shit together. Well, well done. <laughs> Of course, so I call my husband the expert, like that's been his nickname on the blog for 10 years because he's a scientist and he thinks he knows everything and he's a man and so I've always called him the expert and so yeah, now he's very proud, you know, we'll see, I told you, you just needed to get your shit together, um, but it's interesting because it's still marriage, um, which is hard, like no one tells you like how hard marriage and parenting is. Um, but I wake up every morning, and well, we, we live in a house in Massachusetts now that has a bathroom the size of a very tiny closet and one sink, And but we used to have a bigger house in Atlanta that had two sinks, and I could stand in the bathroom brushing my teeth in the morning and look at him and not remember, like, what went down the night before, and I would kind of get my clues, like, oh, is he brushing angrily? Is he, <laughs> you know... I don't have that anymore. Like now we climb over each other in the little tiny bathroom and if we're mad, it's I know why we're mad because I remember. Um so it's like the little things that normal sober people I guess take for granted. <laughs> you know, remembering the conversations the night before, um not doing really dumb stuff. And so from that angle, it's really great, you know. Um and it's from that. Is it my big fat Greek wedding where the woman's like, oh, the, the, the woman is the neck, like she turns the head. Of the, I don't know. Something about like women kind of direct the family. And, you know, you can take or leave that. But I think there's some real truth to when mom has her shit together. Mm-hmm. Um, just men absolutely lead households, women lead households, and it doesn't matter like what kind of household you have or who's in it. Someone is kind of the guiding force, I think. And I have always set the tone for our house, whatever, like maybe I'm a slightly stronger, stubborn personality, but when I have myself together, it's, it's better. Like the food in the house is better. (laughs) The, the schedule runs smoother. And so me getting sober has made our whole family better. Um, The kids are less anxious and I've got, um, I think they're young enough where they don't remember me drinking, which is great, but that doesn't mean that they didn't feel the the effects of it. That their nervous system wasn't impacted. I especially think um, my my son was probably the hardest hit with my drinking. Plus, a sister that came 14 months later, and I think um, the way that I can parent him now is so much better. Like it's just I'm. I'm not trying to figure out how I can get hydrated (laughs) or how I can survive the day because my head is pounding. I can focus on his needs, uh, you know, not necessarily putting his needs above my own. I mean, you do naturally as a parent, but it's natural to be like, hey, how did you sleep? Or would you like some breakfast instead of like, oh my God, just stop talking to me, you know? So the, the The effects are huge, I guess when I say it's not it, it's huge it's I think that I would have really I would have two very very unhappy children and they wouldn't know why because I probably would have held it together you know externally um, but the impact on their little nervous systems and the impact on on their schooling and their ability to or my ability to help them with homework versus like, I've got to get this done so they will go to bed so I can drink, <laughs> you know, that whole thing. It doesn't matter. They don't, there's no rush to get out of any situation so I can go drink. And I just wanted them to go to bed all the time. And I still do. I mean, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm sure. human. I'm still like, go to bed. Um, but it's just because I want them to go to bed. It's not because I need to get into the bottle. Right. Um, I, you're
0: just- I still remember that. I remember it being like, especially nights where, you know, you'd already planned for like friends to come over or especially cause like we had, I don't know if we had kids like early for our friend group, but I, I do feel like we had a lot of friends who didn't have kids. Right. And so, especially if we were inviting them over and then you wanted to be like all put together. So you wanted to have your, your baby down and then they wouldn't fall asleep that night for some reason. And you know, all your friends are in the kitchen with all the wine and you're just like, in the like yes. happening and you're just getting so frustrated and half the frustration is because of the alcohol yeah and maybe half of it is because your friends are out there but you'd be so much more tolerant of it i just I so vividly remember that because our house is just like we always were having people over and it was always you know if people are over then it was definitely an excuse to way overdo it with drinking because people yeah. are here I, I remember one time um, we had a pool in our neighborhood and i remember one time we had a couple over and they also had young kids when we all went to the pool. And so we're at the pool with, with, I had two at the time, she had two at the time. We're at the pool with four young kids and our husbands, everybody's drinking. I think what I had done is something that I did all the time, which was basically take like some half an orange juice bottle and then, <laughs> you know, half vodka or half rum or, you know, just right. make something that doesn't even taste good, but it's super alcoholic and it comes in an orange juice bottle and then bring it in the plastic container to the pool. Yeah. And so um I remember getting home and my memory of this day is her throwing up in the bathroom, like we're like 30 some year old like you know, moms, and me like in there with her feeling super sick laying on the floor, no clue where the kids are, no clue where her husbands are, like just yeah, that, my tiny snippet of a memory of that day. Yeah, what is even happening?
1: Right. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> And then you think, and this is where it gets hard as a sober person, because when you look back on those kind of behaviors, the the tendency to go toward regret and to go to shame, I mean, it's very real. It's very easy to think the worst could have happened and, oh my gosh, what a terrible human I was, let alone parent. Um, And so part of, I think, moving forward is understanding the simple fact that you can literally do nothing about anything that happened in the past, even 10 minutes ago. That, I mean, you can, you're gonna have consequences, but you can't change anything, you only have today. I mean, tomorrow's not promised, like bummer, but I mean, look around, it's not promised. And so being present is, I think, hard. It's hard for especially new sober people because, that's what we were trying to avoid let's be real <laughs> like with drinking it was like okay I don't want to be present for whatever reason um so learning to take joy in being present is is kind of my motto for this year I think <laughs> it's only taken four years of sobriety for me to be like hey I should work on this but it's real well,
0: I think that's what opens up is it's a- I think you start to realize that there's always something to work on. And actually the work is the journey. I think when I was drinking, and this is just so, I don't know if this is alcohol or just our society or all the things, but it was so much focusing on that one next thing, right? Like I remember so vividly, it was the boyfriend and then it was the college degree and then it was the husband and then it was the baby and then it was the promotion and then it was, you know, the house. And then I remember getting, like, I had... I I always would have this argument with my girlfriend who would be like, well, of course, like you've got everything. Like you have all the things. And I was like, yeah, okay. But, but having all the things and waking up on the closet floor and not feeling like you want to live, like, <laughs> right. That's, that's worse because when you don't have all the things, at least you feel like you have a reason.
1: <laughs> you're right. Your,
0: but when you have the kids and the house and the husband and the job, and like you have all the things and and you're still so miserable. And right. I think that's what's so cool about your story. And I love how you call them um, like a recovering attorney, but like just <laughs> this, this idea of, wow, wait a second, all the things. And so then once you can put all the things down and for me, putting all the things down or realizing I have all the things and I'm not happy. Yeah. I can really, if I overlay my calendars say, wow, drinking took to another level. Like, yeah, you know, it was, it was very much, okay, how do I deal with myself now? How do I yeah. deal with myself in this space where I've achieved everything that was supposed to make me happy and I'm not. And yeah. uh, that was a big,
1: big thing. Well, I know, like, I looked at my TimeHop, which I think I'm just going to uninstall that app on my phone for, like, many reasons. But I think it was yesterday's. We were, it was, must have been five or six years ago, because I was, I remember this, I remember everything about this day. Um, We were at Lenox Mall in Atlanta, which is, like, the, one of the two, you know, snooty snoot malls in Atlanta. And I had bought a new Louis Vuitton bag and I was in a green sweater, and I was sucking in my belly. I remember having my husband take like 10 shots of this with my new purse, and the kids were, I guess, in a stroller somewhere. But I was so hungover, and I was—I remember it had taken me a really long time to look like I did, and yet I was still like 50 pounds overweight, um, unhealthy, sad, And there I am with my ridiculously expensive bag that I have not carried in five years, Mm -hmm. but I love my target bag. Right. You know, and it was all about just, Oh, maybe this thing Mm -hmm. will make it better. Maybe this will show that I'm successful and have my act together and nothing against Louis Vuitton bags. They are fine, fine bags. And I do have a wallet that I bought five years ago and it looks brand new. I mean, it is, impeccable quality but the reason I was carrying that darn like I can't even carry that bag my husband is like why do you not carry that purse <laughs> because he was there when we purchased it and you know it's a car um it just sits because I can't I when I carry that bag it, it reminds me of a time when nothing was enough when when nothing was enough the, the two healthy children in the stroller were not enough and nothing Thing was enough and I don't like it so I have a Louis Vuitton for sale if anyone would like it <laughs> dirt cheap just to get it out of the
0: house I, know. It's I, Louis should,
1: Vuitton. I should auction it first, like charity um that's actually but a really good idea
0: wait until your book is a New York Times bestseller and then
1: oh that's right when I offers.
0: have like all this money right because <laughs> authors are rich
1: <laughs> no I just mean the the auction <laughs> to make more money the author no no, no go no go <laughs> The, the mis the misconceptions of this industry. Let's talk you can about that. A living, you know. um, yeah.
0: But no, that's oh it's so true. And I it is like just putting down the striving and saying, okay, what's here? And I think like then realizing that okay, like there's there's no destination. Yes. <laughs> there's no moment where I'm gonna wake up and all the pieces have fit together. And I think the Louis Vuitton bag is so interesting because it's like it's like, okay, I have an idea in my head of what a woman feels, thinks and is when she carries that bag, what yeah. her life looks like. And that idea is, is so much more than what the bag is. I remember having this experience in a totally very different um, arena, but, uh, and this was after I'd stopped drinking, but I had an idea of what somebody who was like written about in Forbes magazine what their life would be like, Like what, you know, and because I was a corporate person and I had this whole business background, I had master's degree, all this stuff, MBA. And like, it's like, okay, if you're in Forbes magazine, like this is how your life is. And I remember taking an interview and the article coming out and being like, no, my my life still, my (laughs) life, wait, what? And it was just this moment of like, oh wait, okay. Like there's nothing. There's nothing besides the journey and the destination and the everyday just really making (coughs) you, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. That's interesting. I've actually um, been reading this book. I'm not going to remember the title, but in this book, it was like uh, the whole idea was like, okay, you need to like level yourself. With the fact that you're just gonna die everything's gonna be like and you're gonna die with disappointments no matter what you do no matter how successful you are you're gonna die at the most disappointed and the least disappointed and you're gonna have feelings and thoughts about it and it's not gonna be different than this yeah take that take it down to the bottom because once you do once you can totally level it like at the bottom then you you feel like there's nothing to risk you can do right that you're so afraid of doing
1: yeah it's like the stoicism like daily stoic with ryan holiday and that that i love 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 that because i'm so not that by nature i'm not a stoic i am a you know highly emotional heart on my sleeve freak out (laughs) (laughs) yes and so reading you know the daily stoic and saying, you know, it'll start out today, you might die. And I'm like, Oh, no, you know, don't tell me that. But it's true. Like when you boil down life to life, yeah, you're gonna die. And we've had a lot of people in our life die recently. And it's just, you know, I'm sitting here like, Oh my God, my book, my book, like, are people going to like it? Is it going to sell? Am I going to get speaking? It doesn't matter because one day I'm going to die and no one cares. Um, you know, I mean, and that's kind of a terrible way to look at things, but it, it's true when you take the pressure off yourself to do all this next big thing and just enjoy where you are, even when it's terrible, because the beautiful thing about the terrible things is you are learning something big. <laughs> Something big is being learned. Yeah.
0: So true. so true. There's just like, yeah, and when you're open to it and like, it's, you're never going to escape the good or the bad or the disappointment or the want for something else or the feeling you have when you scroll on Instagram and you're like, well, yeah. that's wrong in my life and that's wrong in my life and I'm not doing what that person's doing. And, and it, it doesn't matter who you are. You're never going to escape that. I think when you just say okay, I'm going to let that be and just be curious about it and forgive myself for having those feelings and just allow them like, I yeah,
1: think
0: that's such a, okay, then that, that becomes kind of the journey. Right? Yeah.
1: I mean, my th- big thing is when I see people on vacation and I get like irrationally angry, even though like I was just in Colorado. I mean, granted I was there for work and, yeah, but I was in Colorado. I had a couple of days of vacation. Um, but also I have a porch full of workout equipment. And that's my vacation. Like, that's why I haven't been on vacation is because I buy treadmills and bicycles and stuff. Um, But yeah, like realizing, wait, you're choosing this life. Like you're choosing to work really hard in this phase. You're choosing to buy a Stairmaster instead of going to Disney. You know, everything's a choice. And just realizing that I have some say. Mm -hmm. that there's no need to be jealous there's no need to compare I have this I have a say in all these things yeah it's so good yeah
0: all right so two last questions first of all where can people get your book let's it's um the year of no nonsense
1: the year of no nonsense how to get over yourself and on with your life (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Um, it's available pretty much everywhere you you would find your books. Um, you know, Amazon, indie bookstores will have it. You can order it from your local bookstore. I definitely want to make sure we shout the local bookstores over the big giants, but the big giants are supporting the book too. So um, it'll, it's on Apple Books and Kindle and Audible. I mean, pretty much any, you know, it's traditionally published. So all the Peshat Books has got it out there, so where the big things go, it's, it's following. It's, it's got a pretty good distribution, so it'll be in Target and Walmart in the new year and in a bunch of stores, so if you see it, take a picture of it in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> um, but two weeks, yeah, December 17th, so I don't know when this will air, but um, it December 17th. After that, so, okay. So it's out. It's so out.
0: it's out. It's I'm in the listening. wild, Yeah. <laughs> Um, And then where else can people
1: find you? So I'm everywhere at swim bike mom. And that came from my triathlon days, which I'm not doing a lot of that right now, but I still, still do some, um, instead of swim bike run, I use mom as a synonym. So swim bike mom, just all the places that's the website, Twitter, Instagram, all of it. So good.
0: Um, and then, so the last question I always follow up with, which is like, what would you, you know, your you're talking back to Meredith who just got the note from her husband (laughs) and she's, um, what would you tell her about how things are now?
1: I think I would tell her, um, things will get better, but you need to really forgive yourself. Cause I, I spent a lot of the last four years really hating on myself and it's just in the last year and a half or so that I've, I've been able to accept I have, a, I have a hard time with the concept of self-love and self-care. Like, I don't like it from a starting point because I think there's too much of the industry out there telling us, oh, you need more self-care, you need more self-love. But so many of us that have struggled with alcohol, that's part of the reason we got there in the first place is those are foreign concepts. And we when you tell someone who's struggling to just love themselves or to care more for themselves, that's not a starting point. I think you have to get there, and it doesn't necessarily come with self-care. It comes with doing the necessary next step, and for most of us in that position, it's don't drink today. Um, You know, take care of your family, but with that comes the space for self-care and the time and energy for self-love, so it's a byproduct, and it's not necessarily the the cure-all, and so I think I tried to force a lot of the self-love and it just wasn't available to me yet. And so I would just say, be kind to, be kind to that Meredith as she goes down that path, there will be room for self-love, but maybe not right this second.
0: <laughs> it's so good. I mean, that's really what we were thinking about before of like the idea that there's like a, you have to move from something that you believe now, which is that you're worthless. Um, yeah for a lot of us, to something and people are like, well, just jump to you love yourself. Well, that's too big of a jump. Like you can't, yeah. you can't make that jump. It's like a ladder. You have to take the first step, which is, yeah. okay, I'm worthless. Well, I'm actually here taking up space. <laughs> so yeah. I I have presence and maybe that's the first thought you have to think. And then maybe it's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm actually worth the breath going in and out of my lungs because right. I am breathing. I can't argue with that. Right. And, and I think sometimes we jump so far to these super positive things, and we we do we create almost more conflict inside ourselves. Right. We don't believe it yet, and so I think exactly what you're saying is like it it can be such a byproduct. One of the yeah. ways that I started thinking about it, um, in in the early days for me was like, okay, like I I take care of my kids like because they have bodies and because they need nourishment, right? Like I take care, like I I feed them, you know, right. and and like to be really honest, like I didn't feed myself.
1: Right. Like I ate
0: coffee until it was like 3 PM. And then I drank wine and maybe a few appetizers until it was like 2 AM. And then I do it the next day. And like, so just little things like that, like, okay, I have a body that needs to be fed. And so starting there, you know, just recognizing that, you know, I, I have, and just thinking, okay, how would, how would I treat my kids and really starting to hear right. what I said to myself, you know, very little, very little steps. I think that's
1: great. And, that's and I think too, like the whole positive vibes only culture is so toxic. Um, I get the sentiment, but positive vibes only, I like, no, no, like what? No, no. Um, and I think for me, I kind of grew up in a positive vibes only household and that led to suppressing feelings and not learning how to handle anger and really, unproductive coping mechanisms and so like when i see positive vibes only i'm like no i mean i get it but you know i think we have to deal with the emotions it's,
0: it's not it's not realistic i mean like by definition you can't enjoy food unless you're hungry right so if you only have positive vibes you're not going to be able to recognize they're positive because you've never felt anything negative they would right. just baseline. And oh, that's so like, a good one. Yeah. <laughs> you have, to have the contrast in order to feel the good. Like you yeah. can't not like, I mean, you, you just can't. Right. So it has to, we have to have both ups and downs. We have to have the whole realm of human experience. And by the way, you don't want positive vibes. If you know, we we're driving the other day and a deer like got hit on the side of the road and I don't want to feel positive vibes in that situation. I'd be a monster if I did. <laughs> and if I was sh- sharing with my kids, like, don't be sad here. Like we, we need to be able to like, we're humans with a human range of emotions. Right. We need to, be right. able to Experience them. Um. Yeah. That's, that's super toxic. I mean, that yeah. is exactly what's going to get you in trouble because you're going to try to always be happy. And I, I, I haven't talked about it in the positive vibes only, but like in this whole, like, you know, the goal is not happiness, people. Right. (laughs) not to be happy. That is not the goal. And I think, you know, the goal is really just, I actually, I hope that, you know, I will be able to get this book that I have out of my head, but the title is going to be how to be happy, crossed out human, which is. Oh, good. When you can't see it in an arty way, but. Right. That's not going to work. But anyway. Yeah.
1: yeah. I actually talk in my book about how happiness is a lie we've been told. Yeah it's just not
0: yeah all right so get meredith's book so good and i'm going to read and i was really excited when i got the early release copy and i saw my name next to tony hawk because i know childhood like
1: oh tony hawk i know my husband loves him too (laughs)
0: Super awesome. So I wrote about Meredith's book. I said, peace, happiness, and freedom come from knowing what to care about and most importantly, what to let go of. This important book is a testament to the idea that when we see and let go of the nonsense in our lives, we allow ourselves to step into true freedom. Meredith gives us a roadmap for peace in the nonsense filled world. And I just yes. I thought it was excellent and um, highly thank recommend. You.
1: So you know, thank please. you for your support. And I'm glad you like it.
0: Well, thank you so much, Meredith. It's always such a pleasure. Thank you for being my first, second guest.
1: Very I'm honored. Thank you, Annie. I appreciate you so much. Have a good day. You too. Let me
0: ask you a question. What is better than change? Lasting change, of course. And if you've had trouble making change stick, either with alcohol or in any other area of your life, you are in for a treat. I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at thisnakedmind.com forward slash 100 days.